Well, good uh, morning, everybody. Church, uh, this again, as I said last Sunday, is uh, very different for all of us as staff. And uh, I just wanted to let you know that we are doing everything we can to connect with you. Uh, at this moment, no staff are sitting idle. Uh, every one of them have either uh, in their department just been super busy or we've retasked them and shifted people around. We want to have as much online presence as we can. Uh, we've done little things like turning down the heat in all of the building. Uh, we don't turn the lights on. We're trying to save dollars there. Uh, we're checking into that uh, promise by our prime minister of 75% uh, help with wages. And what I see of if we could get some of those dollars, uh, even though our giving has dropped significantly, I would love to be able to have those dollars. Our faith and deed ministry is still very active. In fact, more active than ever. I heard at least a dozen people that were laid off in our church this week. And uh, I'm sure I'm barely hearing all of it. Uh, but we just, we're praying and we're hoping that whatever happens, that we will have the capacities to keep going as a church and be the church. And that's kind of on our end of things. But you're in your homes, you're with your neighbors, uh, even just like yell across the driveway, uh, leave a note at your neighbors, drop them some cookies, uh, tell them they're all sterilized and whatever else. Uh, but let's be the church, let's love and reach. Uh, let's just bow our heads and pray before we hear the word. Heavenly Father, I heard so powerfully all the way from Oregon to Africa, different people that were watching our service online and I, I suspect we had close to 1,500 people. And we just want to thank you, God. Uh, it, these are weird times. And we're, we're honestly, we, we're not used to slowing down. And now we seem to have time for you and for your church. And uh, may God, may you, Holy Spirit, may you just powerfully continue to minister to us. May, may our souls, our, our scared, our nervous, our, our hurting souls be overwhelmed by your presence. Holy Spirit, fill us, overwhelm us. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. Now, as I said in my prayer, I've heard at least, uh, uh, at least a dozen and more who have been laid off in the last weeks. And uh, uh, these are unprecedented days. And I want to start off the message today with just two observations to start off with. Uh, number one, if you've heard about the prosperity gospel, uh, the prosperity gospel basically teaches that when you become a Christian, you will never have trouble again. And if you do, it's because you don't believe or you have sin in your life. And uh, so I believe the prosperity gospel took root in North America, and that's where it started. And I believe it took root because since 1929, that awful crash, since 1929, every generation has had more than the previous generation. Some would say the newest generation, those under 25 years old, can't even come close to measuring up to what previous generation have had. But I believe that so many of us go to the Bible instead of looking for truth and what our experiences are and what growth is, uh, we go to our outward experiences, what we're experiencing in our culture, which has been unprecedented prosperity. We are richer than kings. We better than princes did 200 years ago. 
And we begin to impose that on the scriptures and we, we desperately search for scriptures that say, yeah, this is the normal Christian life. Uh, I've even heard Christians say to me that if people are hungry or, or countries are poor, it's their own fault. And I, I say, shame on us for even thinking that. And I think that as we go through the scriptures, we're gonna see that there is a whole different story. Point number two. Most of us in Canada come from privilege. Uh, privilege, by the way, we, we have free education up to grade 12. We have subsidized university. And I don't know what university costs these days, a public one, but I, I know it's nothing like a private one or an American one. Uh, we have privilege. Oh, I know there are people in our society that can't eat and, and don't have houses to live in, but th that's a fairly small group and, and oh, we love to cast judgment on them, don't we? But the truth is, along comes 2020. And Alberta has been hit with uh, sluggish times for six years, but the recent kind of uh, weird downturn in oil has is, is just been overwhelming. It has struck fear in everybody's hearts. And then you throw in COVID-19. Wow, double whammy. And I want to say the question or ask the question that I think a bunch of you are asking. And the question I, I think is pretty simple. It's, is suffering biblical? Is suffering biblical? I have always known, I have always known that suffering is biblical. Uh, but honestly, I, I don't know if I've ever really grappled with it. No, don't misunderstand me. My wife and I have gone through days without more than a meal, just one meal in a day. Uh, I lived through 1982. I was unemployed off and on for a couple of years. I've come close to bankruptcy twice as I've moved from one church to the other, couldn't sell two houses, almost pushing me into bankruptcy. So I, I do know what having a tough are or what it's like. But I want to be honest, I, I've always had food to eat. I've always had a roof over my head. Uh, I've never maybe even experienced what you've experienced. Prosperity, entitlement, or a society that works hard and that hard work pays off has created, let's be honest, it's created an arrogance that's almost hard to detect. Many don't recognize needy people for looking at them. Uh, we just don't see them. We just go, well, you know, why doesn't he just go get some welfare? Uh, years ago, as I've said, I was, I was told by a Christian that uh, people that are poor, it's their own fault. That's a, the sort of root to the prosperity gospel. What arrogance. How unbiblical. Uh, let me ask again, is biblical or is suffering biblical? And here's a surprising truth. Uh, answer number one to is suffering biblical? Uh, you may or may not know, but the curse has not been fully reversed yet. Uh, there's two verses that John the Apostle wrote when he wrote the book of Revelation. And I want you to notice these verses are actually talking about what will be coming. And these things have not yet come again. They have not come at this point. We're not in the new heaven and new earth. So listen to Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying... Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Has that happened? 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. We're not there yet. Or mourning. We're not there yet. Or crying. We're not there yet. Or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Just a little bit further in Revelation 22.3, John writes these words. No longer, speaking of this future sense, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Friends, we are not living in the new heaven and new earth. There is still the curse on the world starting in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Uh, go to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and read that. And you start to get a picture of why we suffer the way we do. I remember in 1982, I was living in Kelowna, B.C. And with the snow the last few days in Grand Prairie, I wished I was there now. But I was living in Kelowna and, and one of the, he was a man, he was about in his mid-40s, late 40s. Uh, he told me a story of how he, he was a land developer and he went bankrupt. Uh, he lost everything. In fact, the house he was living in, the bank owned, and he didn't even have to pay anything for it at that time. And he'd been bankrupt for about a year. And it was just such a horrible, sad story. I mean, he just decided to start developing a bunch of land just as the crash came. And honestly, he just couldn't carry on. Listen, and this is my second point of, uh, is suffering in the Bible? Is it God's plan? Uh, number two, uh, disease and troubles are with us. Romans 8.23, listen to this. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly, as we wait eagerly. Now oh, I lost my spot. For our adoption to sons, to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. John 16, says it really succinctly. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Now he's just gone through a big description of all the stuff and troubles that are coming along. And he says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In Acts chapter 14 Verse 21, we read these beautiful words. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to their faith. So may I encourage you? It's going to be tough. You might be laid off. You might have financial hardship. You may not know where your mortgage is coming from, but stay true to the faith. We must go through many hardships, the text says, to enter the kingdom of God. Honestly, people, it's time to read our Bibles and quit trying to fit our rosy experiences into what the Bible does not teach. When I was pastoring in Tumblr Ridge, oh, it's 30 years ago, I, I was in a plane crash. You've heard this story. And, and I almost died. And a good friend of mine, uh, one of my best friends, uh, he did die in that plane crash. We are still suffering today. Listen, point number three. Uh, 
is suffering in the Bible. Suffering is God's plan to grow Christians. Did you know that? Suffering is God's plan to grow Christians. Hebrews 12.5, listen to this. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Uh, let's be honest. God uses hard times for our growth. I've heard it said this morning by staff. Uh, I've heard it repeatedly, even at the plane crash. The, the pilot said, honestly, I only grow when things are going tough. And maybe things are tough right now. Maybe your soul is at such a, a turmoiled place but I want to promise you, I guarantee you, in this trouble you will grow. He has overcome the world. He will overcome your soul's aches. This is a time, honestly, this is a time where you may have to let go of some stuff you've been hanging on to. I don't have time to develop this point a lot, but bottom line, hardship grows us and the kingdom of God. Hardship grows us in the kingdom of God. Are you aware that over the last 2,100 years, every time there's been a plague or a war or a famine, the church has thrived, the church has grown. You think back to the Old Testament. Israel had to build bricks with straw, and that honestly prepared them for something. Uh, Stephen was stoned, and that started something incredible. Uh, do I want COVID-19? Am I embracing and wishful for what's going on right now? No, I'm not. Uh, do I want my wages cut? No, I don't. Do I want a bunch of funerals? No, I don't want to do a bunch of funerals. Yet honestly, people, and ask yourself this question. I have given my life to Jesus and I desire his kingdom to expand for the gates of hell to be pushed back for people to receive eternal life. It's not about my time here and building my kingdom. The Bible declares we are foreigners in a foreign land. Understand, and following up the question, is there suffering in this world? We need to understand, number two, that faith increases suffering. When I was in the plane crash, I remember the pilot saying to me, I only grow in suffering. And I've had a few staff here, as I said, who said the same thing. I have four points on how faith increases suffering. Four points. And I, I got so many different points, you probably can hardly take notes, but try to follow with me. Uh, point number one is uh, faith increases suffering by God's love being redemptive in the suffering. Listen to this, John 15, one says, I am the true vine and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. I don't know if you're thinking about you being a branch, cutting kind of hurts. While every branch that does bear fruit, every branch he does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. How does God redeem and have his love pour into suffering? 
Uh, it becomes a pruning time for us. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, for a little while, listen to that, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, listen to this, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which is perishing, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Are you hearing what the text is saying? God wants to grow you in this hardship. In fact, I am convinced that these hardships that we go through, it really begins to refine what we've been putting our faith in. Have we been putting faith in our bank account? I won't even look at my uh, retirement pension fund right now. Uh, I am pretty sure it's lost 40, 50%. I'm not gonna look. That's not what I put my faith in. If I think about it, if I dwell on it, sure, I'm going to be stressed. But in these hard times when stuff gets removed from us, when we have to let go of things, it's amazing what our true faith that comes bubbling up does. Now, we've seen 400 people in our church going through hearing God. And I want to challenge you in this time of hardship, uh, get on your knees and ask God, what can I learn in this? How can I grow in this? You see, faith increases in suffering by, point number two, by letting God speak wisdom to you in suffering. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Did you follow that? Uh, this pruning time, this shearing time, this difficult time, th this is actually good for us. It's good for our souls. And, oh, don't get me wrong. I don't want it. I don't look forward to it. But I know having been through this before in difficult times, I know how it refines me. I know how my faith, my, my true faith, my, my faith in God and the true things and, and putting away the other things grows me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. In 1981, 1982, I was 19, and I had a series, a series of really bad things happen to me. And some of it, you might just laugh at me, but I had this girl I'd been dating for over a year. I was really serious. And notice I said, I was serious. Uh, she broke it off, and she said, I love you, but, and she gave me a bunch of reasons why we couldn't carry on. I was honestly super, super devastated. I, just that alone was difficult. But at the end of 1982, my summer job ended. I had money for one semester of college, and then in 1983, I went through three or four different jobs. Uh, I, I finally, I, I was living on my MasterCard, living in Ontario, and I, I knew I couldn't keep that up. I couldn't find another job, so I moved back to Fort St. John to mom and dad's, 
and I think I was, what, 20, 21 by then. It was a little bit humiliating. I remember going in my kiddie bed. My feet were hanging over the edge. Uh, I, was, I was so low. I mean, the love of my life was gone. I couldn't find a job. My, my dad actually bought my car off me, so I didn't even have a car anymore. That, you know that thing I put my faith in? It no longer was mine. And uh, I was in the depths of, depths of despair. Uh, MasterCard, I wasn't making payments on it, so they were starting to hassle me. But I want to tell you, our faith grows in suffering when we discover our faulty faith is often the problem. Difficult times, it's good at flushing out. It, it takes the impurities out of our belief system. Uh, Jesus had a man bring a demon-controlled boy to him. Uh, the man told Jesus even his disciples could not help. Listen to this, Matthew 17, 20. And he replied, after they described this, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, by the way, that gives me a lot of courage, because sometimes my faith is about that small. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, the, the problem with the disciples was their faith was defective. They had obviously started believing in their own power, their own presence, that they were picked by God, chosen by God, whatever it was, and they were no longer in this case, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. All they needed, Jesus said, was just an itty-bitty little bit of faith in the right thing. And through these difficult times, your faith is going to be moved to the things that are true and real. 1982 was hard on everyone. Yet we need to understand that nothing is wasted on God, no matter what the experience you go through. God grew me in those tough times. I began to get real faith and not religion, by the way. I grew in my relationship with God, talking to him, listening to him, and I gained his internal soul-enriching power. Final point on how God's redeeming love works out in these difficult times. Suffering Listen to this, suffering produces hope. Romans, 8, Romans chapter 5, verse 3b says, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. I think a few of us need some perseverance, some character, and some hope. And hope, the text says, does not disappoint us. It does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. We used to have a saying years ago, what does not kill us makes us stronger. Uh, kind of funny because in our rich society in our blessed nation. I don't know if we really understand what hardship is. Oh, I'm not an advocate for undue hardship or toughening people up by, well, I had a friend once that said, uh, uh, you know, my wife and I couldn't even eat. And he said, I was going to give you money, but I think you need to grow through this. And I went, what? So I'm not into that. I, I don't know if that's what God wants to do. 
if I am anywhere close to being a godly man right now, my hardships in my life refine me to be better, to put my faith in the right things. Oh, that guy in Kelowna, he told me in the conversation that he had found great freedom in letting go of stuff. Uh, he had no stress anymore. Uh, he had time for his family. He actually was praising God and thanking him for the experience. My plane crash, my friend who died, 30 people came to Christ at his funeral. Most don't lead that many to Christ in their lifetime. Uh, the church that I pastored in Tumblr Ridge, 120 people up to that point, no conversions. And then they started to flow in. 120 people became Christians over the next three years. Stephen being stoned in the book of Acts, it ushered in the church being scattered, causing the gospel to expand out from Jerusalem. And in 1982, yeah, I was more depressed than more than any time in my life. I still remember reading my Bible like I'd never read it before. I, I read small little books in the New Testament like Philippians and Galatians and Ephesians. And they just spoke to me so much. It was like God was speaking to me personally. I was so open to his presence. I remember getting on my knees and I asked God, what do I do? I, I'm at a loss. I don't have a job. I, I, I feel helpless. And what he told me, he told me four things. He said, read your Bible every day. Sounds like a good idea. And here's one. Start exercising. And so I did. I started jogging. And then he told me that he wanted me to go in the street corners of Fort St. John and share the gospel now. I'm a kind of passive, timid personality that way. And I did. I went on the street corners and I shared Jesus to people. And the final thing he told me to do is he said, there's a man in the church in Fort St. John who owns a trailer court. I want you to go help him for free. His boys are away. He needs help. So I remember I went and helped my friend Ken. And uh, by the way, when things got better, he paid me some money, so that was a bonus. But that's not why I did it. And I can tell you, like literally in two weeks, now my depression was circumstance-induced, and a change of my heart and my head really moved me along. Now, if you stay in depression a long time, yeah, you might need some medication. Don't be afraid of that. But in my case, it was circumstance-induced, so I worked at changing my circumstances. I received and accepted where I was at. What God was doing was getting my eyes off me and onto him and serving others. It was a brilliant thing for God to do. My intimacy grew exponentially in that season. Often we think we have faith, but what we have is religion. Religion has a set of rules to follow to be blessed. Religion serves me more than it serves God. Relationship with God is a dynamic, breathing relationship with God Almighty. As I've said before, relationship with God will have a moral code and conduct, it'll look a little bit like religion because you're speaking and being led by the Holy Spirit, but the guy in the relationship will have a smile on his face. Religion has moral code and conduct, yet relationship with God will fill your soul up like nothing else. So in conclusion, I wanna tell you suffering is biblical and faith increases in suffering. I want to finish though. I, you might go, oh, good, we're at the conclusion. I've learned so much. Well, hopefully you've learned something. 
But I want to finish with kind of a thought I hooked up with last Sunday. And you might be saying, okay, I, I hear the truth, but I don't know how to connect with God. I, I'm just so in turmoil. And I want to tell you, give you a little, I, I don't even want to call it a secret because it's all over scripture, but Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is powerful. Thanksgiving will, will reconnect uh, your brain and, and rewire yourself, your attitude, your heart. And, and you need to start just being thankful for the things around you that you're grateful for and your relationship with God. Uh, I want to quote something from Psychology Today. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a Psychology Today fan. They have so many weird, they, they are sort of the ones on the epicenter of this is what I think and experience and so this is truth. But in this case, I thought, wow, here are seven scientifically proven benefits of being thankful. Gratitude opens the door to more relationships. Think about it. Do you want to be around a Debbie Downer? By the way, Debbie, you're okay. Two, gratitude improves physical health. These are scientific proven stuff. Three, gratitude improves psychological health. Four, gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Feeling a little aggressive being quarantined with your wife at home. Five, gratefulness or gratitude in people helps them sleep better. Six, gratitude improves self-esteem. Seven, gratitude increases metal, mental strength. Well, it does make you be like metal. Let me just reiterate that. Suffering is in the Bible. And these tough times, and some are going through it and some aren't, Look to God. Ask God. You've been listening to God. You've been hearing his voice. And I just want to encourage you, in all this time that you got on your hands, some of you, ask God, what do you want me to do? And I didn't even, I was such a young Christian, I had no idea about hearing God, but I clearly heard him tell me four things, and I did them. Wow, what a change. I want you to ask God. I want you to ask him what you can learn, what you're having to put aside, what you had put your faith in that was wrong. And I want you to just listen to his voice. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you that, uh, well, at this point, I think all of us have roofs over our head for the most part. I want to thank you for the food in my cupboard. I want to thank you for living in this great city of Grand Prairie. I want to thank you for being a part of this body, these people, and all the great Christians in the city. I want to thank you, God, for who you are. And I want to thank you for this time that's helping me to realize that I need to put my faith in things that are eternal and not in stuff that moth rust destroys, like bank accounts, nice cars, well-painted houses, groomed lawns. Oh God, help us to put our faith in you. Not that we neglect those things, not that we don't see those as a blessing, but God, these are refining times. So Holy Spirit, may you encourage us, may you speak to us, may you fill us, may our souls that are hurting <laughs> because of the loss, the grieving, 
May our souls feel overwhelmed by your presence right now. And literally within today or in a week or two weeks, may we feel so overwhelmed and filled with joy. And we have a perspective and we have a thankful heart and we move forward despite what we're going through because we know that suffering is biblical and we know that our faith grows in these times. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.